Mino Line Media presents Business of the Beat. Hi, I'm Kendra Bracken Ferguson, and I am a founder, brand builder, entrepreneur, and believe in the mantra Carpe Diem. I created this podcast, Business of the Beat, through my own experience as a beauty executive to talk about, tell stories, and highlight the business of beauty through conversations with beauty and wellness entrepreneurs, intrapreneurs, helping to diversify the industry. This week on Business of the Beat. Black people love church in the salons. We love it. And to a degree, to a degree, that's that's our safe space. That's why we love it. And we kind of want to gatekeep it and keep it to ourselves. But as we evolve as an industry, if we want to be a part of the industry, then we have to open up because unfortunately the industry is infiltrating us. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Kendra Bracken Ferguson, and welcome to Business of the Beat. Today's guest is Kia Neal, founder of Color, Culture, and the Texture versus Race Movement. But before we get started, don't forget to follow, rate, and subscribe to Business of the Beat on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You don't want to miss an episode, and we love to hear from you. All right, everyone. Kia is a former stylist of 30 years turned color educator, speaker, and DEI consultant who's breaking the textural and racial boundaries, segregating the pro hair industry. She is the founder of Color Culture and Texture versus Race, both focused on teaching stylists how to identify and work with hair of all textures. Additionally, Kia's reparations program partners with Texture versus Race collab coaches to provide underserved stylists with equitable education while championing diversity and inclusion behind the chair and behind the scenes of the salon industry. Oh my goodness, I've got Kia on the show today. Welcome, welcome Kia to Business of the Beat. Hello, Kendra. I've been looking forward to this so much so that I was a month early. (laughs) You're like, I am ready. Well, I have to tell you, you know, we did a panel at Curlfest together and you were just the star of the show and I love everything that you're doing. Yes, Kia, it's phenomenal. And I have to tell you, I've taken something that is on one of your Instagram channels and I literally have been using it as my mantra. And it is, we get paid to think and create with a K. Thank you, sis, for saying that. (laughs) Kendra, let me tell you where that came from. That came from the colorist side of me. And I'm like, I don't get paid to work. I get paid to think. And- To be honest, I think it has just simply stayed with me throughout my career where I'm still being a thought leader. I'm still thinking. I'm still processing things and liaisoning information. And I'm still in that realm that it's not about the work as much as it is about, for me, being paid to think. And I love that you took that for yourself. I love it. Well, and I love that you helped us say it because, you know, so much happens in our world in terms of let me pick your brain. And there's a difference between we're having a thoughtful conversation as smart people in the industry to where it's kind of like, yo, if my big value is my brain and what I think, 
then at a certain point, we've kind of crossed the line. And I've been the giver of so much brain work that I was like, yes, okay, before you get on that call, let's just remember what Kia said. (laughs) We get paid to think and create. And we don't talk about that enough as I think women and professionals, because there's a fine line between giving and then realizing when you've been taken advantage of your value. That's absolutely right. And I will say for me, it took me a minute to realize that that was now my my intellectual property. That was my means of creating wealth and creating income. And it, it didn't start out that way. But like you said, there's this evolution of thought. It's like, okay, but my brain is doing the work now. (laughs) So all the, let me pick your brains. Let's go to lunch. Let's just catch a cup of coffee turns into invoices and, you know, clicks. I love that. It really does turn into clicks, right? And I love what you're building. So I want to talk about your background because we talk about you as a stylist 30 years turned educator, speaker, DNI consultant. You are breaking boundaries when it comes to textured hair and race, and you're not afraid to talk about it, which is why I say you were the star of Curl Fest. So talk about your background and bring us into what you created most recently. Thank you for that that lead in. And I, I was just sharing with my assistant yesterday that I think the story of how it started is so much more important, if not just as important as where I am today, because it allows people to see that I have a multifaceted perspective of the beauty industry. And I've been in it in such in the most evolving time for the beauty industry. Like I was, you know, a black stylist with black salons, black clients, traditional black salon experience. That was me. And I evolved and I had to evolve. I was forced to evolve into being more of a natural hairstylist and really understanding that in order to expand my career itself, for me being color focused at the time, I needed to expand that. So I had to go work in a multicultural salon. And by multicultural, I mean me. Like, so I went into an all white salon, right? Because I (laughs) I wanted to learn all of this stuff. I wanted to learn how to do color. I wanted to learn um, how to do it on all textures. And what was the most fortunate part about it is that I was able to learn all textures because the area that I live in is such a melting pot. You just didn't know what was going to land in your chair. So for me... (laughs) The natural hair movement came, but it was so much more expanded. But I did realize there was such a huge difference in the black hair experience, salon experience, and the white salon experience. And I got to see what was, uh, I guess we would say, kind of beyond the veil a little bit. And I started thinking, why are our worlds so different? What has happened? Why is the salon so segregated? And I often say the salons in the church are the most segregated institutions left to be the most overtly segregated, right? Like we, we let it be. And I'm like, how do we do this? How do we get away with this? And it started the thought for me over time because it wasn't the thing, right? Kendra, I didn't just jump out and go, Hey, I'm just going to start talking about race relationships. It really just landed in my lap. I was really just looking for more information and how to expand as a stylist. All of that I experienced lent itself to what's happening today, but definitely it was more divine than it was something that I that I intentionally dwelt into. And as a colorist, just trying to become more proficient in color and creating a curriculum called the Color Culture, where we were 
we weren't exclusive of any texture because we created the whole curriculum to be brand agnostic. And at the time, I didn't realize it was race agnostic. It was just inclusive of all textures. So when someone asked me to teach black girl color and black girl hair, I was like, say what? (laughs) I just, I had already been so inundated with texture being beyond just race that I took that almost as an offense, but then I took it as an opportunity to really speak to what was really ailing our industry, which was the misunderstanding of the relationship between texture and race. And so my thought was hair is a fabric, not a race, thus creating the class at the time called texture versus race. That moved into a movement and started a discussion. And that and it just simply was already sort of disrupting the industry back in 2018. So that when when George Floyd was murdered, we were already there having the discussion. And I think that's how people really got to know texture versus race and feeling like I've been so loud, but it's like I've been loud, but not intentionally, just more so speaking my heart and just leaning into that. Well, and I think that that's what makes it so special, right? We throw around so many buzzwords, organic, alignment, 360, all those things. But in your case, you're right. We have to talk about the fact that you said, I want to be educated. I want to learn more. I'm going to put myself in what could have been an uncomfortable situation. I can only imagine having been one of three Black girls in a middle school, (laughs) what that was like to then go into a salon environment and to have people show up in your chair, to your point, you don't know, but then they see you and like, can she do it? And I, I think it's so interesting because you're right. When you think about segregation, salons and churches, and we can be integrated everywhere else, but those are the two places and it is such a different environment. And when you think about the notion beyond race, that's such a big education piece because I think that as 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 culture is changing, I was just having a conversation with someone about, you know, polyculture and the difference between multicultural. And when we think about the merging of races and families, what even is texture as it relates to race? Because Half the time, you're not even sure nowadays what race someone falls into. Absolutely, Kendra. That was the biggest eye opener for me because I started realizing that race, although race has something to do with it, okay, we know that we will commonly see certain textures and attributes associated with a certain race. But when you think beyond that, what I want people to understand is there's a macro spectrum of texture that lives in every race. (laughs) (laughs) And in every culture. And that is for the person that sees themselves, you know, saying, hey, I see what you're saying. I want to be a part of what you're doing. I'm aligned with your message. They're the people that are willing to explore that texture has less to do with race and more to do with our professional prowess of understanding the core characteristics of texture. So even if you are focused on a certain group of people, which I'm completely fine with, right? I think that's great. There are natural hair salons that typically um, that have clients that are all black and they come in and they're, they're cultural. It's an experience. It's all those things. Yeah. But even in that, every one of your clients are different. 
their, their yeah. textures are different. Their curl patterns are different. Their characteristics are different. Their needs are different. Their approach is different. The results are different. The way they respond to certain services are different. And you have to give everybody the benefit of an individual consultation and analysis so that you could tend to that person individually. All I'm suggesting is that everybody already knows that if you have a license, you already know what you need to know. It's the lack of moral development on all of the rest of the textures that you're not familiar with. So if you are in a space where all you deal with is straight and wavy hair, then yes, curly and coilies are going to be unfamiliar to you, but vice versa. And so I want everybody to learn how to do everybody so that we eliminate discrimination and eliminate more harm and violence that happens in the salons. And people love to say that black people aren't going into white salons, but they absolutely are going into white salons and they are walking in and they're getting their hair done and they're being harmed and they're being turned away and they're being discriminated against. And we have to do something about that. And I think this is about the industry as a whole. Why can't we elevate the industry as a whole and become the pillars of the community like we used to be when we were hailed with the doctors and the morticians and the preachers? You know, it it is so painful when we think about racism in different spaces. And then we think about going into the salon and, and being harmed. And we don't talk about it enough. Those stories don't come out. And it just, it can't be that way. And you're right. It, it's kind of, we do a lot of work with Build in Tulsa. And one of our initiatives is this three-year program to build Black beauty in Tulsa. And when I went to Tulsa, alongside of, but also separately of the race massacre, the barbershops and the salons were really the foundation of that community. And you think about like the first salons, Mabel, and even when you go into um, the, the Tulsa Museum and the Black Book, the majority of those businesses are salons and barbershops. And so if it becomes the foundation, how do we move that into where we are now as a safe space for education? Because the times are changing. But the foundation of that being a pillar of the community, that was the first opportunity for Black people to even be entrepreneurs. So we can't be left out of the future of what hair looks like in terms of creating generational wealth. Here's the funniest part about that. People tend to not want to talk about how we even got to be segregated like this. And (laughs) I think what the funniest part is, is that we were segregated on purpose. Like we could not get our hair done amongst and with white people. White people made it so that we did what we did where we did it by ourselves in our own communities on our off time. And we actually, the barbershop served and we did white women's hair, but we couldn't do it together. And it just stayed that way. And back to the point where we were saying, how did the salon and the churches go unaffected? Because you couldn't have racism and segregation anymore in any other institution, right? But salons and churches, and it's because those are led by us, our feelings, our choice, where we want to be. It's the spaces where we find the most safety. Even if you think about it, Black people love church and the salons. We love it. And to a degree, to a degree, that's that's our safe space. That's why we love it. And we kind of want to gatekeep it and keep it to ourselves. But as we evolve as an industry, if we want to be a part of the industry, then we have to open up because unfortunately the industry is infiltrating us. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about influence and culture and trends. (laughs) Let's talk about it. And they have 
inserted themselves into the Black experience. But if education is going to be had, Kendra, why would we not be front and center and be the authority on the subject matter? Why would we not want to take agency in these spaces of education? And why would we lay dormant and wait for someone else who more likely doesn't look like us to once again benefit from educating people on how to do our hair or anyone in close proximity to it as far as texture is concerned? And so my thing has always been the next level is, okay, well, who are we getting education from? And what are we trying to learn? So then it's the, are we trying to teach cultural competence, which yes, is necessary, but there's two things going on. There's the natural hair movement and the curly hair movement. So we're, we're, we're working our way to figuring out what the middle ground is and how to be involved in the industry, but also help carry the industry to the next level. And I think that you have created the opportunity to carry it to the next level. There's a lot of conversations that happen behind closed doors. There's a lot of grievances. There's a lot of how do we solve? But when you think about the transformation, even of your own career, like to create something based upon your own education and saying, let me bring color culture forward so that we can not only be the voice, we have the authority, we have the agency, but now there's this notion of collaboration because we have to be able to collaborate and talk in order to help the industry understand. Because one of the things that I find people love about me, I don't know where this gift came from. I think God just simply had been working on me for quite some time to learn how to have filter and how to say things and how to be a communicator. Like I have been learning and in, in I've been on all the job training with this subject matter, right? Learning how to communicate effectively for people so that they have buy-in long enough to listen into just simply what I want them to do is just be able to consider what I'm saying, not shoot me with an objection right off. And, and so in communicating, we hold pockets and spaces for people to have the hard conversations. We do that in Every single educational opportunity we get, we bring hard topics to the table and encourage people to be more transparent about how they feel, bringing their fears to the table so that we can destroy ignorance with knowledge. A lot of what's happening that's keeping us divided are simply just your biases. Let's just start there. The biases, the stereotypes, unfounded notions, little things that people have made up to support whatever they have been sold somewhere else in their unconscious mind, right? Whatever your parents have passed down to is what you think, whether you can confirm it or not, you already have in your mind, that's what it is. And so we call that to the table and we go, but why is that? Well, why do you think that? Tell me more about that. Let's talk about that. Let's explore that concept. Do you think it could be? Hmm, tell me who said that first. What? It's that conversation that we peel apart like an onion. And when people leave, they're usually sobbing, they're, they're crying, but they still want to hug because it hurts, but it feels good to kind of let it go. And that's what it's going to take is more conversation, more action, and more intention. The action, the intention, and then the charisma of which we're all learning to navigate the spaces because we know code switching is a thing, whether intentional or not, in, as a means of survival, right? And also as a means to move our agendas forward. Because to your point, if I'm going to ask you to consider, I'm hoping that that approach, let's call it your strategy of consideration, will then help 
to create better pathways so that they can champion diversity and they can champion inclusion within the salon industry and and quite honestly, kind of even beyond that. And that's where those pieces and the movements have to work in concert with each other. And so I love how this is a business model for you, because I think we talk a lot about nonprofit, for-profit businesses, what's the balance of having it? But at the end of the day, we have to get paid to think and we have to get paid to have the conversation and to be movement builders. So when you started to think about, I've been behind the chair, I'm going in front, I'm using this strategy of consideration. What are really the pillars of color culture and how does that translate into texture versus race as a movement? So the good news about color culture is that, like I said, we we weren't necessarily looking to be an all black company. Our strive was to create a brand agnostic curriculum that allowed people to understand color from a scientific approach. So we were in a in a sense creating better consumers of colors for the brands, right? Because the more you know, the more educated you are, the better consumer you are, the more color you're going to buy, the more intentional you're going to be about, you know, doing things. That's what we did. So we didn't say it was for black people or white people. Now, I did know black people would benefit more. Right. So I thought I knew I said black people are going to really benefit from this because we go back to the beginning and bring people up. So we broke things down in a way that and that was the motto. It was color interpretations. That was my first name, color interpretations. And it was, you know, hair color theory in a way you've never heard it before. And and that was what it was. It was kind of a liaison of the same yellow and blue makes green, right? But it was, but why is that? But how is that? What law supports that? What happens if that's not in place? So we broke that down and gave people a way to think, right? But what I didn't know, what I was most surprised about is how many white people did not know color from a theoretical space. Again, whatever you've learned, right? We learned that, well, I learned that white was right, right? And I felt like Mm -hmm. they had the agency over color and that all white stylists just knew how to do color. I didn't realize they were just as deficient in that area. So color culture filled a void that I was not prepared for. Well, I was prepared, but I I was surprised, right? I I was surprised at how many white women or men would stay after my class and say, I've been doing hair for 30 and 40 years and I've never heard this information like this. I've never understood color quite so much like I do. Like this has blown my mind. Like I understand now, even the things I've been doing on repeat, I understand now why I'm doing it and why it works and why it didn't. And that's what we and that's what we did. So when we come to texture versus race, we want to get people to a point where they also bring education to the table of, okay, well, we're going to cut, let's cut all textures. You know, know how to cut it straight, know how to cut when it has a wave, know how to anticipate shrinkage, know how to cut it when it's curly, know how to preserve curl during chemicals when you're doing color, know how to, you know, work your color placement or tweak your formula and shift your formula to accommodate different textures. That's the theme of being inclusive. It's having texture show up from page one, not be the elective, which it has been. We've been, right. We've been on the side with lashes and nails and extensions and texture, if you wanted to learn. But we want to normalize texture and make it standard in the industry. So the what, what God allowed me to do with the color culture is just simply a repeat of that in texture 
but with other moving parts. Because like you said, getting people to be actionable and intentional really starts with them. So not only just wanting to champion diversity, but be diverse. Be diverse in your mind, in your family, behind your chair, at your dinner table, at your family reunion, in your conversations out in the street. When you're diverse-minded, then some of these other things we're asking you to do don't seem so foreign. They don't seem so robust. They don't seem like it's too heavy to handle. And it, it, it becomes more like a cross that you're willing to bear every single day. Because that's what it's going to take. And it does. It takes that. And it takes the fortitude to say, I'm going to create something different. Because to your point, if you're going through this education and you're getting a certificate in order to do your job, right? Like we go to school, we get this. We're supposed to be ready to come out and to go. And what we're highlighting is that there is a void in what the educational system looks like, right? There's innovation kind of across the board in all industries. But here, we're really lacking that. And I like how you talk about the fact that like, we have to be able to come in and cut it all and to do it all. And we may specialize, you know what I mean? We built Brain Trust Founder Studio Design for Black Founders of Beauty and Wellness. That doesn't mean that the courses and what we're creating doesn't translate to other people. So we have to understand the vast nature of what we're doing. And if we want to create a niche, great, but we can't be bound by just that niche if we're trying to truly build something special. And I think about what you're doing and I love how we've talked about collaboration, but then also your collaboration coaches. And you've made it a point to have your allyship division, your reparations division, (laughs) um, as well as just your texture versus race collaborative. So talk about what each of those means inside and how that truly brings the inclusive nature of your work to bear. So, yes, like we have done a lot. We've we've been very thoughtful about the needs of the people and how to get to this cohesiveness that we're looking for, right? But here's what I will say. I am okay with stylists having niche. Like I'm not looking for everybody to be a, a, you know, a loctician, right? Everybody's not going to know how to do feed in braids and that's not going to be their jam. I don't. However, if I color, and that is my niche, be able to color all. Because if you say, not only am I a specialist in color, but I'm still specific to a certain texture, that to me is where you're being divisive. And I'm not even going to say it's completely wrong because people have a choice. It's just not the best for the industry for itself as far as a standard. Now, there are some people, Kendra, that tell me, I don't want to learn how to do touch. I'm fine. And I'm like, you got about a good five years to ride that out. Do you? Mm-hmm. After that, everybody going to be brown and curly. That's a wrap. <laughs> Just the, the new majority. Let's the go new ahead. majority is coming in. And so you got to learn how to do some curls and have some twirls in there. And if you can't, if what you do can't translate into other textures, you're on borrowed time. That's all. That's what I'll say about that. But the Texture versus Race membership has created this pocket or community for people to be able to come in and grab education from a peer-to-peer space, right? So that's where the collaborative coaches come in. Um, Guest artists come in and they give this information that everybody has access to when they come into the membership. However, if you are a Black person, a Black stylist, artist, whatever, you are granted access to the reparations division. This is where all of our brands, our white counterparts, influencers, educators have given this information 
so that we can level the playing field and have a pocket of equitable education for our black stylists. The reason why we want to do that is because since George Floyd has been murdered, now everybody, this racial uprising, you know, the the, the box has been open. Everybody wants to get education. Everybody's championing texture education. Great. But while we're doing that, if we don't support the black stylists and making sure that they too can do straight and wave your textures and be competitive in the market, we're going to see a financial hardship. And so reparations was put in place to bridge that, to say, uh-uh, 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 before you take over, okay, because here y'all come, right? Exactly. Everybody's, everybody's doing test education, but we're not looking out for the black salons who have been gravely overlooked and underserved. And so we're saying, give of yourself. So some amazing stylists, um, educators, influencers, and some great brands have given information and access to information in one space where people can go and say, I've got almost everything that I need right here so that they will be able, like I said, to level the playing field and be more competitive. Oh, and one more thing before I forget that. So if you're not black, then we put you in the space with allyship so that you get access to people who are in an anti-racism journey. You know, we're doing more to show up on videos or live or do classes, encourage the resources for books and movies and things to help them become more culturally competent, but really to get them to be a more committed to an anti-racism journey, which does require a huge level of commitment. And the only way to do that is to start opening your mind, changing your heart, and then we move your hands. And we like it in that order. Well, that's actually the requirement. Like in all of this, there's a human element, there's a heart element, and there is the element of I want to do better, I want to support, or I just want to learn so that I don't get left behind. But it has to come from a place of wanting to. And to your point, fine, you want to say stagnant, you want to be over here. In five years, it's going to be obsolete because we're already seeing what the majority looks like. And so catching up the heart, the hands, the mind all together is what will enable us to impact the change across the industry because it has to start somewhere. But then in order for it to grow and expand, we've got to have the support of allyship. That's just that's the reality of where we are and being able to do it in a way that makes sense is I think the beauty of all of this, right? And and that's where we get to the nuance. And even when you talk about the awareness play, you have so many things that are all interconnected. So we have our Texture versus Race Summit coming up. We have Not So Pretty streaming on HBO Max, which is phenomenal. Talk about what you're doing to further grow the awareness. Because some people could be like, not so pretty. And it's like, no, no, no. That is so important from a documentary perspective to have the opportunity to shed light on this in a different way, in the same way that having a summit and the offline and online, because you could participate in both, is so crucial to furthering the education. So you know, the thing is about the summit is that it's so multifaceted. It's not when people say, what is the summit? I'm like, you, I almost want to say you kind of got to be there. But, you know, you can't just say that. Right. And people just buy a ticket. Right. But I'm telling you, summit every every summit we're we're going on our fifth 
Texture versus Race Summit. And I'm telling you, each one has evolved into more of what we want to see because we're meeting the needs of the people and we're needing the needs of where we are at that time. Because at one point, we just wanted to get together. The first one was like, let's just get together. And then we just try to figure it out along the way. So people came out of, I just want to see what you're going to do, because this is big. Like, we're, what are we talking about? Uh-huh. This was this actually. <laughs> yeah, like, what? everybody said in their post-interview, like, I didn't know what to expect. I just knew I needed to be here. That was gold, okay? Mm-hmm. Gold for me. Now, we're being more intentional about how we show up, the education that's being given, the expansion of that education, who's educating and how. And then we're making more demands and having more expectation from the brands, not just sending product for a swag or, you know, just kind of softly showing up. No, no, no. Come and speak for yourself. Come and talk to the people about what your brand is doing to forward more inclusiveness. How is your product working on all textures of hair? Have you even figured that out? So we're working with brands that are more that that come to the table with more understanding. And so expanding now from one or two, three educators to now we have a plethora of educators and now we're working it more like it has it has a little fragrance of hair show, but not completely. Right. Because we still want to be intentional. We're still creating our our um, diversity and inclusive spaces. We're still masterminding. We're still doing hands on and putting in live models in place and, you know, seeing all of these things come to life and giving people these aha moments of seeing true transformation and being able to experience because exposure is everything. You have to put people in the room where they can explore their healthy curiosity around textures because you'll be surprised how many people still say, I've never touched a white woman's hair or I've never touched a black person's hair. I've never, they hold their hands up like, I've never touched curls or straight hair. If I went to the doctor and they told me I've never, I would be like, what? (laughs) But we do that. We do that. I've never gone to a veterinarian and said, oh, you got a puppy? Oh, I only, I don't touch dogs. I do cats. Like I do learn because I'm not a dog lover. Like you would be appalled and you would be like, how do you do this? So my thing is, is let's get together. Let's, let's put all of the things in place. And by the way, TVR was set for December 10th to 12th. And I made a very difficult, but necessary decision to push TVR back to March 17th through 19th. And it's going to give me more time to work through what I'm sure, you know, people do not know as much about me, but I've had the accident with my ankle and I feel like I've been out too long. And there's some things that I really want to button up and make sure that I show up 100% and make sure that we have all the pieces in play, because this is so important for some of these folks that come to Texas versus race that might be inclined. This might be their only chance to really Think about that. This might, you know, how people say at church, it's like, maybe you're the only person that brought the opportunity to learn about Jesus to them. Like you might be the only person, right? I feel like some people, this might be the closest they get to really getting it and having the opportunity to, to consider another perspective and to make themselves open enough. So I really want to show up at a hundred percent. So I'm really proud of that decision. But the summit is going to be amazing. We're going to do digital versions of it to keep people occupied between now and then, keep them excited. And I'm excited about the collaborative 
those coaches that that I've aligned myself with because we'll still be doing hair shows and posturing black educators in these spaces where they have been overlooked and you know haven't been given these opportunities so we we're putting them on stages we're sharing all this genius and folks <laughs> every chance we get so we're still working really hard to push the narrative and I think you said something really impactful is that yes we are learning how to do all textures and we're fighting for diversity and inclusion. But Kendra, there's this arm of equity that has to be in place too. So while we're doing all of this, we are also saying to people, but if we want to do an all black version of it, and that'll be fine too. Well, and even how you've laid out the different opportunities in terms of memberships and subscriptions and having that additional reparations piece available Because I I do think that it is important. And I think that if we shy away or lose sight of that, then I think that we could potentially go backwards in a way that isn't moving us forward across the entire ecosystem of what equity and parity really means. And so when we create things and we want people to be involved, we sometimes do have to make decisions. Is the time now or is the time better suited? Because at the end of the day, to your point, this may be the only time that someone has to really experience something that we take for granted because we put ourselves in, in, in spaces of diversity and diversity in the truest form really across the board. And so I love how you talk about it. And to your point, the work doesn't stop. Like you are still out there creating content, creating shows. And so the more that we can talk about that, it all gears us up to this big moment that we've been waiting for. But I truly believe that we have to have all the steps along the way to get there. And then it has to be right because we're held at a different standard. We just are. And we have to show up in a way that shows that and pushes it because intuitive, we know it, but we can never leave the door open for anyone to misinterpret or misjudge what our intentions are. I wish we had a <laughs> just to go through that because Quite honestly, I have a whole live video that I'm probably going to do, I think, Sunday night around that very subject of the code switching, the showing up exponentially more excellent than everybody else, that Mm -hmm. that need. I'm going to do something and I'm going to challenge that thought that it is so. But at some point, we got to get to a point where we just say, but I know I'm bad enough to carry it no matter what. And the reason why I said that is because I would be so offended when people would, um, especially white people, would always post me in a, a, a lighter light. Like if they ever got the chance to see me laughing and, you know, just kind of being myself a little bit. So like last year, TVR, just for your for your sake, like we, we would dance every now and then, it, you know, we, in between. And I found that every single person that reposted us posted that part. I thought that was so interesting. And I kept saying, why is everybody posting us dancing? Like, you know, and I was like mm-hmm. a little bit like, I don't want y'all to ever misunderstand where I'm coming from and not take me seriously because someone's showing me dancing. So in my mind, I'd started creating this narrative that I had to be in control of the story and the narrative that was being spun about me and that I didn't want to not be taken seriously or, you know, they misunderstand or miscalculate, if you if you would, what, what I'm trying to do. And so I thought about it and I, I went to this, this all black conference 
with all these six, seven, eight figure people. And they were doing the exact same thing. They were swag surfing and doing all these things. And I think I had a huge coming to Jesus meeting. I was like, but does that make any of these people less professional, less competent, less? And I was like, I'm going to swag surf every chance I get if that's what I want to do. I'm going to everywhere and you still going to know, but I'm going to bring the heat every chance I get and don't get it twisted because I could switch this thing up real quick and get with you with a conversation. But I think I had to realize it was okay. And the fact that I have a multifaceted personality, right? There, I love music. I love to dance. I love this. And I love this conversation and I don't have to give up one for the other. And I know that's not what you were saying, but I, I was just saying it was a, it's a huge thing for me because I have such a serious conversation all the time. When I let loose, I don't, I don't ever want people to get it twisted, but I'm thinking, yeah, I can swag surf with you and still check you. It's okay. Yeah. We can do both. You know, I am excited for you to have that conversation and to participate because you don't have to give up one for the other. I would always be like, we got to work hard and play hard. And then what I realized is I would always be so terrified to put an out of office up that I was going on vacation. I'd be like, oh my God, how I don't want people to know I'm going on vacation. Like then they're going to think that I'm not working and I don't care about the business. And that was me. No one ever said it, but it was the way that I was internalizing that. And as we talk about soft life and like what's okay and what's not okay, we don't have to give up one for the other. And that's the changing of the conditioning that I feel like has been put up on us because I, I say the same thing. It's just like, wait a second, I'm a, I'm a business this, I'm not a that, but it's okay. And it's something that we as individuals have to work through each of it ourselves in terms of how it shows up for us. Absolutely. I would go through measures and measures of, of outfits and stuff because I was, when I would go to white organizations and white events, I would always struggle with, am I dressed enough? but I don't want to overdress. I don't want them to think I'm doing too much and I look like Beyonce, but then I don't want to. And, and you know what? Every time I would go, I would be the, and I, I know some people are going to feel like you shouldn't say that, but yeah, girl, I would show up and be like one of the best dressed people there. And then I see folks that look like they got their outfit off the Ross, you know, um, clearance rack in the back. And I was like, wait a minute. I don't spent. And here yes. you come looking like earlier today, you know, you didn't even change mm-hmm. for the, for the banquet. You and I would get so irritated by that. And it started, and then I started letting myself go and saying, do what you're going to do, because I'm always going to do a lot. I'm always, I'm team too much anyway. I'm always going to look great. I'm always going to have on makeup. I'm always going to have on a great outfit. And I have now resolved that I don't have to do that to win anyone's respect. It's just something I want them to learn to expect from me because that's who I am. But then, but the narrative that I had to show up much better than everybody else, I had to get rid of that thought and say, no, you just simply like to show up great. So I, and I told a girlfriend of mine, she was like, oh my God, you're going to do too much. And I finally started saying, yeah, I am. Count on it. (laughs) Just count on it. (laughs) Whatever you're going to do, do you, but count on me showing up, count on me doing too much, count on me being dressed up, count on me being extra. That's what it is. That's my middle name. We're good. Yeah, I love it. That's why I'm saying all these things. I'm just like flapping on my wall. Like you got this. And I do want to ask you as we wrap up, you know, we talk a lot about our journeys and what we've learned. And one of the things that we've really been focused on asking the guests is like, what has been your defining moment? 
And we have them at different moments of our career um, as we accomplish our goals. But when you think about all the different pieces that you've created, what has been one of your defining moments? The biggest defining moment was one when my husband dropped me off to this white salon that I didn't know I was going to that day. That changed my life, literally. Two was the day that God told me I would do this class called Texture Versus Race. I fought with that. I don't want to make it seem like it was just easy. It wasn't. It wasn't an easy transition. It wasn't an easy decision to make to tackle the industry in the realm of race when I was being asked to teach color. And I brought race into it. And it was the first time that had ever been done. And it was it changed the trajectory of where my life would go forever. And it was in that moment, that moment that I realized that everything that I had been through as a young stylist coming up through Dudley Cosmetology University, an all black school, being in the being in the only one of the only black commissioned salons in Charleston, South Carolina, to owning a black salon, to working in a white salon and experiencing what that was like firsthand, like with all the harm, the microaggressions, this, yeah, the racism, the all of that stuff had to come at me. But I had to experience that so that I could speak to it. And I didn't know that's what he was doing. I thought I was on this track, but it was much more bigger than that. And so the moment where God revealed that every single part of the puzzle that I thought that I had already started moving into good, bad, ugly, and different and trying to hide a few pieces here and there because, you know, I didn't want to be a part of my story. You know, God said, no, but I need to use that piece too. So everything that I had been through started coming back. And it's like looking at a, a screen that's fuzzy and blurry. And then it just looks like, it looked like God just cleared it all up and said, and this is what you're getting ready to do. And I didn't, I didn't know that it was all working up for, to that purpose. But 18, when it happened, and 20, when George Floyd died, it was very clear that this would be the path I was on for a a good while. Wow. When we look back and we think about the pieces, because in the moment, a lot of things happen, and we don't know why, right? Or we don't know how the pieces are connected. And I like how you talk about it. It wasn't just this one thing that I thought. It was God basically showing me every single piece comes together to form this puzzle. and to be prepared for that, and then to come out on the other side, it's just, it's really phenomenal. And so much of it is, can we listen? Can we open our hearts and minds, like you said? And then can we be prepared to receive it so that we can move it forward in a way that we may never would have imagined, but it becomes a defining piece. Had you not gone into that all-white salon after all of the experiences that you had, What would have given you the mindset and the authority and the agency, like you said, to even be able to create this? I wouldn't have because I wouldn't have had the information to build off of. I wouldn't have been able to be a forward thinker if I didn't have the back experience. Had I not experienced those things, I couldn't have created curriculum and conversations that I knew needed to happen. Like just even speaking to people about salon etiquette. That comes from experience. I wouldn't have known that if I didn't experience it firsthand, like just sharing with people like, 
You can't just keep coming over, putting your hands in people's hair. You can't, you know, stare at them all day long. Even if we are diverse, right? You can't stare at them all day long. You can't, you know, hold one person to be the the answer for every black person, you know, in America. So tell me, why don't y'all know how to swim? Like those little things, you know, I'm trying to do hair. You know what I mean? Like, it's just. I believe that everything that we've gone through, Kendra, is a part of our story and it creates the perfect picture. No picture is complete when we're hiding and pushing pieces aside. And I feel like if there's more to my story after this, I'm just going to sit back and let God show me because I surely can't see it right now. Like I couldn't imagine based off of what he just did. I would never say like, where do you see yourself in five or 10 years? I have no idea. I'm just along for the ride. I'm going to just let God do what he's going to do. I'm just going to let God do what he's going to do. And, and, and I'll be right here watching. I'll be like, all right, Kia, here's where we went and here's what we did. And it's just, it's phenomenal. And my last question, we are about community. We're about creating a brain trust and supporting each other. So we always ask, what is one brand, company, founder, influencer that you want to shout out that we should all go check and support? Don't get in trouble. Don't get in trouble. <laughs> no, I love that. You know, they all black. Every time I do that, they're all black. But I will share that. I do have one one extra, but Essations with Stephanie Luster. That family, the Luster family, phenomenal. Look up Essations. They are amazing. Um, Blonde Solutions. They're a bleach company. Black owned, a husband and wife team, killing them. A million dollars the first year. Wow. What? Mm-hmm. When I say breaking the internet, their product, love them. You got to check them out. You know, that's phenomenal. Less than 2% of women who start businesses make it to a million. And you add that with husband and wife dynamic and duo, which what? you and I know. And They're <laughs> amazing. That's amazing. That and Stephanie Lester, we will make sure that we support and check out. And Kia, just. Thank you. I am so happy that we could share the stage together and then develop a relationship outside of that and sharing and and the work that you do. We are all here to support you and uplift you because we know even if it's the chosen path through God and it is ordained, it is hard. And so we still, as we get to the land of milk and honey, we still got the giants on the other side. So thank you for what you're doing. Thank you so much. And shout out to you, my friend. You're doing amazing things. And let's not let's not forget that I can't go off without sharing with you how amazing you are and how much of a bright light you are and that I see why people gravitate to you. And I just cannot wait to to do more work and, and be alongside you as well. And every week I share an influencer I'm checking out. Thank you, Kia. Make sure to follow Blonde Solutions. That's at Blonde Solutions. Catering to all blondes, providing patented pigmented technology and as always i love to leave you with one thing from today's guest and that is how will you be a forward thinker to create something that you didn't even know was possible kia talked about having the opportunity to take all of the different pieces and turn them into something that she didn't even know she would be doing she called herself a forward thinker So how will you be a forward thinker to create something that you didn't even know was in you to build, launch, or accelerate? And as always, 
follow, rate, and subscribe to Business of the Beat on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You don't want to miss an episode, and we love to hear from you. Leave a five-star rating and a review. Until next week. Business of the Beat is hosted by Kendra Bracken-Ferguson, assistant producer Jenny Salk, executive producer Kendra Bracken-Ferguson, edited by Fishmar Creative, executive producer Ken Johnson. Find the Business of the Beat podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Odyssey, Amazon Music, or where you get your podcast, And on IG at Business of the Beat. Business of the Beat is a Mean Old Line Media production.